As reported in the journal, CPA firms are recruiting non-accounting graduates in record numbers. 31% of accounting firm hires were non-accounting graduates in 2018. So almost a third of people who are going into accounting firms now did not major in accounting. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. As many of you know, I'm all about the niches and niche apps. Putting your business clients in the proper niche app is providing them with a 100% solution versus at best the 85% solution of a standalone accounting app. If you have clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, Core is the app for them to best manage their firm, increase their staff productivity, and ultimately increase their profits. You don't need to juggle between multiple apps. Core has it all and an easy-to-use, all-in-one app for project management, including time and expense tracking, budgets, forecasting, client billing, and accounting. Even though Core is an all-in-one platform, it still works nicely with the apps like Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive, QuickBooks, Xero, and AccountRite, offering you and your clients the maximum amount of flexibility. Core offers a full-function mobile app and recently launched a cutting-edge voice-based assistant for your smart speaker of choice. To learn even more about BQE Core, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Did I mention that BQE Core works great for bookkeepers, CPAs, and accounting firms too? Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, happy birthday this week. Thank you. I wasn't feeling that old until I realized I'm only a year away from being Homer Simpson's age. And I started watching The Simpsons when I was Bart's age. <laughs> so, it's been a long time. But you know, I found out it was your birthday is we got a review. Oh. And the review wishes you a happy birthday. Oh, well, it, I hadn't seen so, that. So let me jump in and read this. Yeah. It's a five-star review. It's from The Juice 711. Now, The Juice, maybe OJ Simpson wrote your review. I don't know. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. It, could be, it would be really I, I, yeah. cool. So let me read this out here. It's a great accounting story coverage. Blake T. Oliver and David Leary do awesome job at dissecting accounting-related news and keep me abreast of what's going on in the industry. I love the banter and each person's unique perspective. The show is so much fun to listen, and I tune in every week. I highly recommend this podcast to everyone in this arena. Happy birthday, Blake. Oh, thank you so much for the birthday wishes and that nice review. Really appreciate it. I, I like how he, he said Blake T. Oliver, that he uses your middle initial. Well, that's that's good. I've branded myself as Blake T. Oliver on all of my social media. So apparently it's working. It's working. That's you know, good. I don't want them to confuse me with the other Blake Olivers. Is there other Blake Olivers? It's like 12. I think one's a lawyer. Do you follow all the Blake Olivers? No, definitely don't. I, I, I do. I, 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 I follow all the Leary's. Every David Leary's, yeah. Oh, so David, I have a story for you. So oh, yeah. I was watching Mary Poppins Returns with my son, and I learned what Leary means. Yes, yes, uh, my kid. There's a whole song about it. There's a whole song, I know. A, a Leary is a lamplighter. Yes. Is the, that true? I don't know. Uh, my kids were losing their minds over that one <laughs> the movie, I guess. I've not seen the movie, but they were just like... Yeah, they they almost lost their minds and fell out of the chairs. Like positively or Yeah, and but then they were even more excited because they are huge Hamilton fans and to find out that uh Lynn Manuel wrote that song. Mm -hmm. Oh, I excited. didn't know that. Wow, that's cool. I think so. Yeah, I think he scored the whole the whole thing. Yeah. So I have some QBOA news that's personally involves me. I'm trying to, you know, be involved with the PTA at the school. And so I volunteered to uh uh do all the reconciliations in QuickBooks Online. So I made them invite me to as their accountant and QuickBooks Online accountant. So I get to experience the world now through the eyes as an accountant with a client. Wow. So like you've been 
in the world of QuickBooks Online for all these years and you've never used it as from the accountant perspective? Not in real life, if that makes sense. So this will be a learning experience. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll give it I'll give an update on this, how it goes. Yeah, let me know if you need any tips and tricks. Happy to decide, help. Like, like, what is this is insane. I'm doing this for free. <laughs> I should be charging. You should be so. charging. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's good. Uh, so I have uh, some news. I got an Apple card. Is that the credit card thing? Yeah. So remember, Apple decided they're going to offer their own credit card. Yeah. And they apparently were sending out invites. And I got one of these invites via email. Oh, so must be because you're an influencer. I, I, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I uh, clicked the link and it opened up in Apple Wallet, right? The app on your phone that has the uh, all the credit cards and all the uh, rewards cards and whatnot. And I have to say, it is the most amazing credit card application experience you will ever have. You go through like three screens and you put in your information and you get approved right there for an amount, uh, a rate, and it adds the Apple Card virtually to your wallet on your phone immediately and you can start using it. So you can use it anywhere there's Apple Pay and then they send you a physical card that's made of titanium and the way you activate that this card is like literally indestructible. It's thick and metal and you activate it by touching your phone to the card and then that activates the card. There's no number you have to dial. I have to give it to Apple. They've made a terrible experience, a really good one. But the Apple card is going to cause accountants and bookkeepers a lot of grief. And you know why? No bank feed. No bank feed. I, I think I saw a tweet about that. Yeah. Already. Somebody would, somebody said, this is ridiculous. Like, I think somebody already tweeted about there's, that. There's no online banking. Goldman Sachs is the bank that is issuing the credit and the card. There's no way to go online and download your transactions. It's all in the phone. You get a summary of your spending and you can make payments and whatnot, but like, there's not even a way to export it that I can tell. So get ready, everybody. If your clients have Apple cards, it's going to be a big pain in your butt. The interesting thing is if it's going to get more people to use Apple Pay, because if you pay with the card using Apple Pay, not the physical card, but the one on your phone, you get 2% cash back, which is not bad, right? Yeah. If you pay with the actual physical card, though, it's only 1%. So they're obviously trying to get people oh, nice move, nice to move. use the, the virtual card. And if you buy an Apple product from the Apple store, it's 3%. So I'm going to, of course, you know, use it to pretty much only buy Apple stuff because... I don't know. I feel like the rewards aren't that great for all the hassle you have to go through, right? Especially if there's no bank feed or anything like that. So, you know, Apple Pay has limited acceptance. It's MasterCard only, so it won't work at Costco. You got to have your phone to pay if you want to get all that benefit of the 2%. But from an experience perspective, it's pretty great. Start. Yeah. And then I can go to old tweets I have from like 2011 where I was, they were saying Apple is the new banks. Apple, Microsoft, Google, these are all the new banks and it's it, it's uh, coming true. So why don't we jump in the news? I have a little bit of Intuit news, some California news. We have WeWork news. I don't know what kind of stuff do you got? I got layoffs, accounting layoffs at UPS. Uh, the AICPA is working to protect CPA licenses uh, with a new initiative. They must have listened to our podcast last week. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Right? <laughs> Here's a study that found problems with audit fees for good auditors. Apparently, if you're a good auditor, you get penalized financially. And then uh, a shift in accounting firm hiring. Accounting firms hiring fewer accounting majors and more non-accounting majors. Uh, do you want to start out with um, Intuit News? Yeah, let's hear the Maybe. Intuit News. It was in one email, but two pieces of news. 
two product lines uh, Intuit is killing, and they both have to do with QuickBooks Online Accountant Edition. So one was special app pricing. Essentially, the, the gist of that was if you were a QuickBooks Online Accountant, it was like having your own little smaller private app store where you could subscribe to some apps and you get a 20% discount on that. And so the way that model kind of worked was Intuit gets 20% of the revenue, the account or bookkeeper gets 20% of the revenue or passes that out savings to their client. And then the app developer gets what's left, right? You also got consolidated billing, right? Yes. And then that all would appear as a consolidated bill. Correct. It was an experiment and it was super underutilized. Um, I think they said like less than 3% of all the pro advisors were using it. And this is the third time I think in the Intuit developer team and Intuit has really tried to do um, play middleman and offer billing. I mean, that's the dream, right? Like you want to be like Apple. You want to take 20% of every app. Yeah, well, an Apple gets 30% on the app store. 30%, right? Like you, that's the dream. But I think it makes sense. Like I get that, right? Like if you're buying a bunch of $4 games on Apple, you don't want a bunch of bills. You just want one stupid bill and just see all of it all at once, right? right. But think about that. But, but think about this from a bookkeeping standpoint. It's much easier to get separate bills from all your different SaaS vendors. It is. And to record those into the accounting system, then to, then to get one bill, or mind you, one bill for lots of different clients, and then try to like line item that out. Yeah. Like that's like, like fundamentally, I don't think it, it doesn't make sense from a bookkeeping standpoint. Never mind. I'm not sure small business owners, accounts, and bookkeepers or developers even want it. And a model like the App Store with Apple only works if you have to go through the App Store. You cannot pay for these apps otherwise. The what, what Intuit built. You could go both ways. You could purchase directly or you could go through the Intuit store. And of course, the developers are going to want you to pay directly because they make more money. They don't have to give Intuit a cut. So they have no incentive to send you to that store. So I think that probably well, would I, be a reason. I mean, I think for developers, the theory is, oh, it's it's right there inside of QuickBooks Online account. And it's right there in front of the accountant's eyes. They get 20% off. Well, I wonder, Your signups would yeah. exceed it. But I don't know if that ever happened. Well, the question is, how much was this actually promoted? Like how much did they actually put it in front of the pro advisors? It's it's pretty in front when you're inside of QuickBooks Online Accountant. It, it's it's pretty front and center. It's very obvious this program exists. So it just didn't get the traction. It was an experiment. So they're killing that. What else are they killing? They're killing that. And then they're also killing... So they announced this, I think, at QuickBooks Connect last year about a QuickBooks Online Edition or Online Accountant Edition integrates with Slack. So Slack integration for accounts to get their notifications sent from QBOA into Slack into Slack and their conversations with their teams. And mm -hmm. it, I think it may have even had some ability to possibly interact with clients. Not sure. I, don't, I don't remember the details on it, but less than 1%, less than 0.1% of the QBA, QBOA firms were using it. So it's completely underutilized. But if you remember a couple episodes back we had, we were talking about how Microsoft Teams is bigger than Slack now. Slack in that survey that CPA Trendlines did that we talked about on instant messaging. Oh yeah. Slack didn't even show up. It wasn't even reported as significant. Uh, like, first of all, most firms aren't using IM, and then the ones that are, are using primarily Skype and uh, you know Microsoft, right? So, which would include Microsoft Teams. And like we were saying, like most firms are using Office three sixty five, so Teams is naturally going to get traction. Yeah, right. And it's it's kind of a miss, right? Because I, I get it. Like twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, the coolest kid in the world was Slack. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, and, and so it's one of those probably a product manager or somebody chased that. It was a cool, slick, awesome attention getting thing. But maybe if there was literally like surveying of the customers and really looking at the base, you probably would have built something for Microsoft Teams. Yeah. And who knows, maybe eventually they do. Um, so 
that's kind of so that's also getting pulled out and out of QuickBooks online account. So two experiments that Intuit did failed. The nice thing is they're communicating about it throughout there, and you know they they're very clear with the numbers, right, and really justifying why they had to pull the plug. So I got some news on the zero side. They had an update. Okay. So zero, I think we talked about that they rejiggered their marketplace. They came out with a new version of it, the app marketplace they've got. So Sholto McPherson over at Digital First did a nice write-up on what has changed and improved specifically. So it's easier now to search apps by industry vertical. It's also easier to see the up-and-coming apps, like the new ones that are really hot. The app partners can now update their own profiles rather than having to send them to zero. So we're more likely to have more up-to-date information because zero is not going to be updating on behalf of the apps and with oh wow i did not know that was a yeah they're using a a content process before they're using a content management system called contentful now my favorite thing though is the last item or one of the last items that sholto highlights which is the profile of each app now shows you how it interacts with zero and what data goes which direction so the example is a2x which is a tool that syncs amazon sales to zero and vice versa. And so it shows accounts going both directions. So that's a bi-directional sync. And then it shows currencies going from zero to A2X. It shows invoices going from A2X to zero. Tax rates go from zero to A2X. Tracking categories from zero to A2X. And I love that simple diagram because it gives you such a good idea of what will actually be syncing through the API. And the interesting thing is, in theory, a diagram like that could be automated, the creation of those, and every single app on every single app card could have those. What the platforms have the ability to to do, QuickBooks Online and Zero, is see the API calls an app is making and which way the data is going. So in a way, like that should just be a default on app mm-hmm. cards. Um, instead of putting it... I've seen some developers like create a slide of that data themselves right, to try to show people what they do, but there's no reason that should just shouldn't just be kind of public information. Here's here's the API calls this app makes. I have app news about Square. Okay. So Square, they, they've had an API, but it's very just a payments type API, right? So if you were a developer, you could uh, use their API to take a payment in your app, essentially. Now what they've done is they actually now have an orders API. And what that problem is solving for, you, have you ever gone to like a, you know, pick up some Chinese food somewhere? And you get there, and, and the person at the front counter has 10 tablets. Yeah. All right, 10, maybe not 10, seven tablets at the front counter because he has a tablet for his uh, Uber Eats and DoorDash and um, Postmates, all those services, all these tablets. And then he's got to print out the, re- the order and leave it back to the back kitchen. Or he has to take those orders and type it into his Square Cash Register to get the order processed. So they have an orders platform. And so all of these third-party delivery ordering services – well, now just, can just write their orders straight to Square. So you don't need any of those tablets anymore. It all just goes straight into Square. If interesting. That's your point of sale. You know why this is really interesting to me? Because when I was in public accounting, one of my clients was a company called Ordermark, which is based here in LA, that was founded by okay. the heir to Cantor's Deli, which is an institution here in LA. It's like the deli. So this guy, um, Alex Cantor, started Ordermark, and it does exactly that. It ingests all of your orders from all of these different ordering platforms and spits them out onto one receipt printer in your restaurant. Yeah, I think that's super important because I, I was talking to a restaurant owner about this. It's bad enough all these companies are taking 20% off the top of the revenue. 
But then, you know, it's super inefficient for the restaurant owner to deal with this. So to have it just go straight into Square is really, really, really efficient and amazing. Um, and Square has a developer blog post about this, but it's really starting to become a bigger play by Square where they're moving beyond payments and they're going to be like the center between orders and your accounting system. So all the customer interaction that takes place from the order to when you post the accounting system, Square's going to kind of try to be the middleman on that. So kind of think about your CRM a little bit, online marketing a little bit. So this, the payment, this is the thing the about orders. Square. I see new features coming out, like multiple new features every single month and quarter from Square. They are developing so much stuff so fast. And I'm wondering if they're going to get to a point where they have simply built this bloated suite of offerings that they just cannot optimize any because they're so spread so thin. They're doing payroll. They're doing this order thing. They're doing online stores. It's it's everything. Like, how can they keep up? It's interesting because it's funny because the same person who founded Square founded Twitter, mm-hmm. right? And Twitter's constantly trying to do other stuff. And the only thing it does well is Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and it's But Square's had some success doing other things and, and getting out of just that little Square payment dongle thing. Well, so, I, I guess they can do other things because they make so much money from their payments platform, right? It's just huge amounts of volume. Like it's okay if they do a bunch of other stuff that doesn't actually make any money. It's like the uh, it's like the Google model, right? Google makes, I don't know, 90% of its revenue from advertising, but then they go out and do all this other stuff that really doesn't actually generate profits for the business. But what's, what Square's doing there, by doing all of this, it's keeping, if you're using Square as your payments provider and you're paying, I don't know what the Square rate is. Is it 2.9%? Two point, no, 2.75%. 2.75. And then the typical merchant account salesman comes by and goes, hey, we're going to give you 2.5%, right? You're not going to switch because that, that EDC terminal for scanning credit cards doesn't do... Zero percent of what Square does for you in your business, and people will never switch. That's a very good point. Very, very good point. And I guess that's the same Google model too, right? Is that by offering all these other things, they keep you in their ecosystem where they can advertise to you. Yeah, like an Apple credit card. <laughs> exactly. One last. I've got one last story on apps. Okay. We missed this. We didn't cover this. We were at the accounting show, Los Angeles. And CPA Practice Advisor gave out their 2019 Innovation Awards at the event. And I thought we should mention the apps that won. Oh, absolutely. Here they are. Biller Genie won. They're a full-time automated accounting assistant that helps small and mid-sized businesses work smarter and improve cash flow by standardizing and automating invoice procedures and follow-up initiatives. I have actually not seen Biller Genie. Are you familiar with them? I have not. I'm not I mean, I have not used the app, but I'm familiar with, uh, I think I'm familiar with all these apps because I helped launch them on, apps on QuickBooks. Okay. Got it. So automated invoicing, right? Uh, BQE Software, sponsor of the show, one for BQE Core Intelligence AI, which we featured in a previous episode. If you haven't uh, heard that interview with Shafat from BQE, definitely check that out. Chata.ai, an artificial intelligence app for financial professionals that uses natural language understanding to find insights in their financial data, one. That's an interesting one. So it's natural language processing across your business data. Have you done this one? Yeah, so so think about like, if you wanted to do a SQL query, uh-huh. right? You'd have to like understand how to write the query in SQL language. Well, this way you can just type it in normal language or just say it out loud. And then it's going to go and get that data out of your accounting system. 
So speaking of searching, Checkpoint Edge from Thomson Reuters is a winner. They use artificial intelligence, machine learning, and cognitive computing technologies to search Checkpoint, IRS.gov, AICPA, EY, and Deloitte and other sources simultaneously. So helping tax professionals find answers to their questions uh, without having to do all those complicated searches, right? So so they're kind of offering like a niche search service. So you don't have to go to Google. You can use theirs and it's just going to be faster and more detailed. It's sort of like the way it used to work is you had to use Boolean searches. So you had to really know how to format your searches using syntax and whatnot. I mean, that's how Google used to be too, right? It's basically what I was talking about with chat AI, right? Exactly. Similar thing. Natural language for searching. And then you get the guidance you need. Got it. Giraffe won for their financial planning and analysis in the cloud service, which connects financial and operational data to help accounting firms and finance professionals create tailored budgets, plans, and models quickly in a highly intuitive point-and-click interface. Uh, So Giraffe is kind of been hot at a lot of the accounting shows recently. It's like those dashboard applications, right? There's a number of them. You got Spotlight, Futurely, uh, Fathom, right? But Giraffe goes further in that it allows you to build these sophisticated financial models that normally you'd have to use Excel to build. Yeah, so I think you're going to like, if you compare and contrast, like, Live plan, which was, uh, was two episodes ago, we talked about live yep. plan. Like it's really in the language of a small business owner, right? And yeah. giraffe's really going up bigger and midsize. And you know, well, giraffe is built for financial professionals. It, actually, that's a very interesting contrast to live plan, right? Which was built originally for business owners. Giraffe does that modeling and planning, but at a very sophisticated level. Like you can say, you can create a model where your number of salespeople drives your revenue. And you can say, all right, if I hire two salespeople in September, how is that going to change my revenue over the next 12 months based on how quickly they ramp up? And, oh, by the way, every time I hire somebody, all these other costs waterfall through my expenses, right? And you can build a really sophisticated model where the drivers are like that. Yeah, but you wouldn't like drop a client in there. You'd you'd be in there doing that either with oh, the yeah, client. Yeah, clients would have no idea how to use it. Yeah, the CFO you, at that place. Yeah, so this is really for folks who are doing, you know, con, uh, virtual CFO controller planning stuff, right? For much bigger companies or mid-sized yeah. companies. Well, for, or CPA firms offering those services. Services, got it. Yeah. And the last winner of the 2019 Innovation Awards is XCM Analytics as a Service, which allows firms to measure real-time productivity to make business critical decisions and improve performance by using and aggregating real-time firm data into standard benchmarks, charts, and graphs. So it's like a dashboard play just for accounting firms. Yeah. So the internal metrics, like internal metrics, realization, okay. all that stuff for firms that love the billable hour. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> <I'm not one. laughs> this episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and MailChimp. Saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, Cloud Accounting World. I did say backup QuickBooks Online company data. It only takes seconds to install what is essentially an insurance policy against major disaster, or just those small business owners that like to get, quote, creative in the accounting system. Rewind works automatically in the background, capturing all the changes to your QuickBooks Online in real time. If something does go wrong, Rewind is the only service that gives you 100% control of what you need to restore, be it one transaction, multiple transactions, or all the data. 
To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. So I have a company that's not going to get an innovation award. What's that? So here we go again, another AI startup fraud. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so we talked about this uh, months ago, that venture capital firm in Europe, MMC, issued a report that found that 40% of companies that claim to use AI are actually faking it, that they don't actually have AI. Yep. So and what's the latest? So this article was in The Verge. And there's the title of the article. This AI startup claims to automate app making, but actually just uses humans. And essentially what this app did, they took in $40 million, or th- I'm sorry, $30 million in VC money, claiming that they had this AI that would create apps. So if you need an app created, Blake, you could contact this company, fill out like a website, and you'd magically get an app out on the oh, other end. Oh, that sounds great. Sign me up. And when they pitched this, apparently they, were, they said they were 80% there. Uh, and then really, they don't have any AI at all. What's the name of it? Uh, it's called engineer.ai. Engineer.ai. Okay, so... I want to create an app. I tell it what I want and it uses AI to splice together the code. That sounds a little bit uh, suspicious to me already. Well, the process was like, you know, hey, I need to hire an engineer to build an app. I don't need to do that. I can just use engineer.ai. I mean, that's the premise. So what were they really doing? They had basically a little bit of AI to customize and uh, quote you a price based on what features you wanted. But other than that, they basically were using human-powered engineers to do that. The nice takeaway in this article is he... Because they do touch on all the stories we've talked about before, you know, the Siri using humans and Alexa using humans and all that type of stuff. But they did a nice conclusion at the end here, which I'll, I'll read. But the point remains, humans are required to help AI improve, even when companies are loath to admit it and aren't always transparent with customers when another person is in fact involved in the process. In this case, a whole class of new startups appears to be using AI hype to build new technologies they may not be capable of or even intend on actually providing, both because it may be too difficult and because it's easy to pretend otherwise. And these companies are getting more money for it as a result. And that's the problem. I think the there's companies know that they're going to get money if they claim they have AI. And so they're claiming they have AI when they don't have it. Well, and they're going to use the money that they're raising to build that AI. But then they find that, oh, it's a lot harder than we thought. I think that's what's happening a lot of the time. I don't think it's complete fraud. I think it's just they're, it's aspirational. It's growth hacking, right? We're, we're going to fake it until we make it. But do you think after the whole uh, Theranos thing, like VCs would just be more keen to this at this point? Or is it just oh, this no, constant I, I, chase? I think Theranos just like made everyone you know, feel like they can get away with it. Right, because oh, <laughs> the opposite happened. I, I, yeah. told, like, I believe you. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, like that's the model. Like that's, that's what you want to follow. Okay, got it. So I've got some follow-up stories that are related to what we discussed last week with Ben Juan. If you haven't heard that episode, by the way, go check it out. Ben Juan reads a hilarious letter that he wrote in the voice of the AICPA conceding that the CGMA was a mistake. And we talked in that episode a lot about the CPA numbers, the value of the CPA, the future of the CPA, why fewer students are going for the CPA license after they get their accounting degrees. So I want to follow up on that with some numbers. So this is an article that appeared in the Journal of Accountancy called Report Finds Shift in Accounting Firm Hiring, which I think is kind of a very understated 
headline for the stats in the survey. As reported in the journal, CPA firms are recruiting non-accounting graduates in record numbers. 31% of accounting firm hires were non-accounting graduates in 2018, which represents an increase of 11% from 2016. So almost a third of people who are going into accounting firms now did not major in accounting, which I think is interesting as somebody who majored in music and then got into accounting. I think there's actually a lot of benefits uh, to being a non-accounting major. Well, it diversifies the thinking for sure at these firms. So we've got more non-accounting grads. And then meanwhile, those CPA firms hired about 11% fewer accounting graduates in 2018 than in 2016. And that's 30% fewer than in 2014. So they're hiring fewer accounting grads, more non-accounting grads. My question that I posed on LinkedIn is, what does this mean, right? Does this mean that academia, that the people running accounting programs in schools are failing, that they're not educating the accounting students in what they need to know to be successful in CPA firms? Is that potentially what is going on? There was a, a lot of commentary on this post. I liked what Paul Meissner said. He said... Interesting discussion. Not sure how the U.S. is, but we have had these studies in Australia. The studies have collected data predominantly from larger firms, which are increasingly becoming multidisciplinary. So by nature, these firms hiring outside traditional accounting grads reflects normal business rather than some worrying trend. A reduction in grad hiring overall here has been attributed to automation of data entry and outsourcing. So I'm still not totally sure what's going on. Is it that, uh, you know, the accounting major is not as valuable as it was, that it's, it's not preparing people properly, or is it simply that accounting firms themselves are doing more than just accounting these days? I, I think it could be both. No, I, I think it definitely accounting firms are doing more than account, yeah. accounting. But, but then the question is, well, if the whole point of majoring in accounting is to go work in an accounting firm, right, or to do accounting, then maybe the curriculum needs to change. If CPA firms are having to go outside of the accounting majors to find who they need, then there's something wrong, right? We're not teaching people technology. We're not teaching people data analytics. Isn't that what your your 150 uh, credit hours to get your CPA should do is you go take a bunch of other disciplines? You would think that, but... There is no requirement to study anything specific to get those extra 30 hours. So a lot of people just end up like me doing bullshit classes to get the credits because I don't have time to go major in data analytics or something like that. I'm just going to go to a community college and get the credits I need to set for the exam. Got it. So yeah, don't get me started on the 150 hour rule. That was last week's episode. Yeah. So so that's interesting, right? So that's a, that's a big change in the accounting world. I've got some more accounting-related stories here. There's still a lot of news in the CPA world this week. There was a story in Accounting Today titled, Companies Penalize Audit Firms for Flagging Their Own Weaknesses. There was a study, a report that was issued or presented, I should say, at the American Accounting Association's annual meeting in San Francisco this past week. The report was entitled, Don't Make Me Look Bad, How the Audit Market Penalizes Auditors for Doing Their Job. And this is the crazy stat. If you are a good auditor and you do your job and you report a material weakness in internal controls over financial reporting for one of your clients, if you do that in the course of a year, you will see your average fee total in the following year grow by 8% less than it would have been if you had not issued a material weakness. So if you overlooked the material weakness and just 
didn't happen to report on it, you would benefit with an 8% increase in revenue. It's interesting. I, I saw a headline today and I didn't really read more of it, but apparently people are saying that GE might be a bigger fraud than Enron. And it goes back years and years and years and years. Yeah. I, I, so I saw that. how this happens. People, yeah. whoever was the auditor of GE just ignores it because 8% revenue, you're growing growth revenue, 8% from GE is a lot of money. It's a huge client of KPMG. And by the way, KPMG has been auditing GE for 110 years, 110 year relationship there. So what do you think the odds are that whoever is managing that relationship at KPMG really, really, really doesn't want to find anything wrong with the financials or internal controls? Same thing with Enron, right? Yep. This is is the crazy thing about auditing is the solution to all of this is always where it seems to be that the people in the profession say, oh, we need to take more ethics courses or we need to put in an oversight board to make sure that auditors are doing their job. Maybe I'm stupid. I've never been an auditor, but it kind of seems kind of obvious to me that the problem is that auditors are hired and paid by the people they're supposed to be auditing. And auditors are also supposed to maintain independence in both uh, fact and appearance. But you cannot be independent when you are getting paid by somebody. You can't be independent from them. That's a financial relationship. And the bigger the financial relationship, the less independence you have. And then the relationships are even deeper, right? It's not just, oh, we're doing their audit. I might have a whole team doing consulting with them. Yeah, it's possible. Well, there's there's limits now, right? But um, yeah, you may have other business, but even the audit engagement itself may be gigantic, right? And this, this study doesn't even talk about all that other stuff. It just shows that if you are an auditor and you find a material weakness in internal control, the word gets around and then you're less likely to get hired by other firms. And there was a specific example cited. They didn't name the firm, but they mentioned a firm in San Francisco, it was a big four office in San Francisco. So in one year, one office issued no material weaknesses in the 12 public audits it conducted, while the office of another big four firm in the same city reported one material weakness in 26 public audits. The following year, the former firm issued 14 audit opinions, an increase of about 17%. So the firm that didn't find any weaknesses had 17% more audits. The firm that had the material weakness, that found the material weakness, they had a drop in business of 20%. They only issued 21 audit opinions. Well, of course, because if you're, you're going to go with, I'm going to use the word incompetent auditor, if you think you might have the problems with your books, because that guy's not going to find them. Of course, that guy's going to get more business. Yeah. So, I mean, I think of this as like, what if teachers had students grading their own papers? Or what if as a student, you hired another student to grade your paper, right? Who are you going to hire to grade your paper? You know, your buddy who's going to go easy on you, right? True. So it's just, it's just a disaster. So like the whole, it's, it's actually so simple yeah, and insane. The system is just set up to fail. And it's like, until we figure out how to fix this, like nothing's going to work. It's, you know, it's, it's all incentives. It's just the wrong setup from the foundation is flawed. Just wait till Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren hear, hear about this. I, I think this is this is one of those issues that should not even be politicized in the sense that like it, it's a political it can be a political issue, but it shouldn't it should go across party lines because it just doesn't even make sense. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's my CPA world, AICPA auditor news for the week. You want to know what doesn't make sense to a lot of people? What? Is WeWork. So are you familiar with WeWork? 
Yeah, I had an office at the WeWork on Hollywood Boulevard here in LA for at least three years. Okay. And so I think maybe some of our listeners may not know, WeWork is a co-working space. They've actually changed their name to just We. Which I find really, um, really yeah. weird. It's like Alphabet yes. and Google. I can't get used to calling Google Alphabet. Yeah. And a co-working space is a place for people that you pay a monthly fee and you could sit down and use a desk um, or you could have a permanent desk there and you can work. And there's, in theory, other like-minded individuals hanging out in that place. And there's coffee and maybe there's a keg for a beer to drink on a Friday night. Um, they got rid of the free beer, though. They used to have free beer on tap at the WeWorks and they don't yeah. have that anymore. And there's a lot of local independent ones all over the country. And and WeWork is the McDonald's. Would that be a... Uh, they, they are just massive, right? They are like... And, and they're going to be going public. Correct. And so there's a really interesting thread by Jason Andrews of Stark Naked Numbers. He's um, It's a LinkedIn thread, so we'll post it in there because it's a big discussion about this. But the numbers just don't make sense, right? And so people are tossing out comments like, is this the next Theranos? The expenses are 2x the revenue. I haven't dug into the financials, but I took a quick peek at this screenshot of the financials in the IPO filing. So they've got 2016, 2017, 2018 there. And then you can see the six months ended June 30, 2019. And the operating expenses, the OPEX is humongous. It's double for the first six months of 2019 is double the revenue. Yeah. And they, they're half saying that they're a real estate company, but really they're like a state of consciousness. We're like a generation of interconnected, emotional, intelligent entrepreneurs. It's, it's just really weird speak. Yeah. And then I don't know, my two cents is I think they're super disruptible. Like if you think about Starbucks, because essentially, if you go to WeWork, you sit down, you get your coffee, you have a f- unlimited coffee, you sit at a desk, you do some work, you have some Wi-Fi, maybe somebody you know, you talk to them, you run into somebody you know. It's like sitting in a Starbucks. So like if Starbucks offered for 99 bucks a month a coffee subscription and had a few cubes maybe with an extra monitor, maybe one soundproof mm-hmm. phone call mm-hmm. booth, it's game over. Like I, I feel like Starbucks could destroy WeWork in two seconds. I, I wouldn't. I, I'm not so sure about the Starbucks idea, but I do agree with you that it's not a particularly sticky business model because these are memberships. So when I had my office at WeWork, I paid a monthly fee to have my dedicated office space. You could also just have a desk in an open area, or you could have a hot desking membership where you just go in and you get assigned a different desk. They're all different prices. There's different sizes of offices, but the key is there are memberships that are month to month. So I could cancel this month and pay, I think I could just pay for September and be done, right? Because it's August now, which is kind of goes to your point that it wouldn't be that hard for me just to go to some other co-working space, right? And sign up there because there's not a lot keeping me at the WeWork other than the convenience of it. And, and that's my argument because because I've I've rented desk at co working spaces before and you know, you're paying three hundred dollars a month for a desk and sometimes I'm like I don't know if this experience is much different than working in a Starbucks or someplace else with Wi Fi. So I had my own locked office. Okay. Um, the the Wi Fi was gigabit Ethernet, super fast. Like they they have a printer there that you can use on demand. Like there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, and I really really liked my my WeWork experience. But these losses are like crazy. I mean, you could argue they're acting like a startup, so they could at any point raise rents or raise membership fees and you know reduce operating expenses and become more profitable. But regardless of that, my biggest concern is, or the one that I brought up on social media, is if these memberships are all month to month and WeWork is signing you know, 10 year, 20 year leases on these office buildings, if there's a recession and they lose their members, they're screwed. 
right? Because the members can yeah. just like they can't afford their memberships anymore. They just cancel. For sure they'll go but to then, Starbucks. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But then Danny Crichton, who is the extra crunch executive editor at TechCrunch, was kind enough to reply to me and explain that in the S1, which I didn't read, WeWork emphasized how they increasingly have large enterprise customers who sign multi-year deals, which is interesting because when I was at WeWork in, I think I ended my membership in like 2015, 2016. It's been like three, four years. When I was there, I don't recall seeing hardly any enterprise type customers, so, you know, like no Microsofts, no Googles, right? It was all small startups. It was all independent people. Well, apparently... WeWork says that now up to 40% of their memberships is large enterprise companies that are renting space for their employees. And these companies have multi-year deals with WeWork. Okay. So it's kind of like what happened to South by Southwest. South by Southwest was like young, entrepreneurial, people connecting, then all the enterprise companies discovered it. And now South by Southwest is a big festival of enterprise companies dropping millions of dollars advertising to each other. That's a great analogy. So uh, that's that's all I got this week. Oh, so yeah, the... Uh, if any of you work at WeWork, um, run your accounting firms from WeWork, be interested to know your thoughts on that, right? Like in comparison, could you do this at a Starbucks? Would it be more convenient? What happens if they double your rent tomorrow because now they're a public company, they're accountable to shareholders? And are you seeing, as WeWork claims, this, this larger enterprise segment using WeWork? Because if that is true, then I have a lot more confidence in WeWork than I would if they were just marketing to small startups and small firms. And if anybody has information about WeWork and they want to contact you, Blake, what's the best way? I am on Twitter. I am at Blake T. Oliver. And you're also welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you do, just make sure you add a note to that invite so I know who you are and where you came from. And how about you, David? Contact me at David Leary on Twitter. You can also contact me on LinkedIn. And I'm totally fine with the blind connections with no notes. <laughs> yeah, you just accept all of them? I accept all of them. Well, that's how you build up those connections so that you can be... Uh, defined as an influencer david well this is how i this is how i know who all the accounting Sorry, coaches are i don't know that one uh, alexa just decided to charm in chime in <laughs> and on that note Sorry, bye alexa i'm not sure about that yeah she, she has to work on her uh her understanding of the podcast well a human has to go process what i just said now yeah exactly give you the response well david great speaking with you and i'll see you again next week later bye